Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and change agents who give you their message of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. And today we're talking to entrepreneur and podcaster, Billy Salibi. Want to know how to manifest your biggest goals? Do you know how to fulfill your vision and find your tribe? You're in for a treat right now because Billy studies visionaries performing at the highest level, achieving greatness, and he is here giving you that knowledge so you get to live your dreams. He has refreshing insights for you as you move forward into your best life. Straight from the summit of greatness, welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Billy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad we're finally able to do this. It's exciting. Yeah, this will be fun. Okay. So before we get into I want to hear about everyone you got to meet at the Summit of Greatness and what knowledge you get to impart to us. And But first, you were a Tesla executive and now you're in podcasting. It just seems like such an improbable leap. So, and we talk on here a lot about what made you make the leap? How did you get the nerve and why did you do it? But why podcasting? And yeah, how did you end up there? It's so funny because so many people ask the the question of how I went from Tesla to podcasting because it does seem like very different, as you just said, <sighs> but it wasn't very different in terms of what I'm doing. And the reason why is I've always loved learning and I've always loved teaching and podcasting allows me to do both. It allows me to learn while I'm teaching. So when I ask a question, it often is to understand a concept better, simultaneously teach someone else who may not have any knowledge of whatever that insight is. So my show, as you know, is all about insights. It's called Inside Out, where I look for those tangible, actionable things that can help someone be a better human being. And so at Tesla, what I did was training and development. And so my core job function was to teach people how to perform at their job as effectively as possible so that they could get the best results. So I do the same thing in the podcast space. It's just that more people have access to a podcast because it's public versus at Tesla, it was within the the walls of the company. Okay, that totally makes sense. And how did you end up in podcasting? Yeah, so I had a lot of people tell me when I left that I should look at potentially being a podcast host. And they just thought I'd be good at it. They knew I was inquisitive. They knew I liked asking questions. And it just made a whole lot of sense. And the other thing is, I find that the human voice, the vibration of the human voice, the intimacy of a podcast allows you to connect with someone on a really, really deep level. And that was a powerful proposition. So I did it because I felt a connection to do the same thing I was doing at Tesla so that other people could hear and other people could gain insights or inspiration or strategies to do more with their life. We only get one life. So how do we do the most with the life that we're given? Yeah. So you have a whole podcasting company now where you produce and do podcasts for others. So which came first, your own podcasting and YouTube and everything or your company? Well, company was born out of a necessity for me because I realized (laughs) when I started my show that I can't do it alone. I needed to 
bring a team. And in order to bring a team, I had to find the right people to do the things that either I didn't want to do, or maybe I wasn't as qualified to do some of the more technical pieces. I didn't know how to edit audio. I didn't know oh, yeah. the nuance. <laughs> I knew how to edit film because I was a film student. So I knew that more than audio. So first hire was an editor. But then I said, okay, I need help with creating social media clips. I need help with writing. I need help with the website. I just didn't want to do it all my own. So I built a team. And that team is now what has helped to create my company, Podify. And now we do it for other people, not just for my own shows, but for other people as well. And it's just grown from there. As you know, and I'm sure any, anyone listening right now, everybody wants to start a podcast these days. So I have an endless well of potential clients who need help. They need that support. They want to be able to share their message. They may not have the time to do all the things necessary to get their message out there. Oh, absolutely. If I had to edit, <laughs> I never would. I wouldn't have had a clue. And I definitely did not have the time. Okay. So here you are. How did you know what kind of podcast to do? What did you like? How did you get started? And then how did you get in the realm where you're talking to all these amazing people? Because everyone wants to do that. Right? Yeah. I think the way I started out was who's in my network, who is interesting, dynamic, can share something about themselves that will be helpful to someone else. And so I started interviewing people that I worked with at Tesla. I started interviewing people from previous jobs. I started interviewing people who I had read their books or people who I've seen on social media, I've seen on Instagram, I've seen on LinkedIn, and they've done something to spark an interest, enough of an interest for me to say, hey, you know, let me ask this person if they'd be open to being on the show. And I think like anything, as you know, Lauren, it's the worst answer you could ever get is a no. And so yeah. I'm a big believer in make it a priority to not assume anything. And so assume someone's not going to be on your show or assume someone doesn't want to be on a podcast or assume they're too busy. Don't assume any of those things. Instead, give yourself the best opportunity to interact and do whatever you can to bring people into your orbit who are going to help make your life experience better. It could be a podcast guest. It could be somebody in your life to help you with something that you're working on, be a partner. It could be somebody that you need to confide in and share something with because it doesn't do anybody any good to keep everything bottled up into yourself. And I know you believe that too. I mean, I'm a huge believer in having access to people in your orbit. I'll share one quick thing. I read this and then I heard it again. And I really, really love the idea of having a personal board of directors, somebody that you could turn to, a group of people who in your life can be there when you have a question, when you need some insight, when you need something to allow you to share what's going on on your life journey. Okay. What if somebody doesn't have that right now? How will they find that? Or in the space they want to go into too? How do they find those people? Great question. Because this ties really well into what I've done with podcasting. So I started one show, then I started another show. I started interviewing people who had been down the path that I wanted to go. So people in the podcast hall of fame, people who have millions of downloads, people who have taken their show, they weren't celebrities to start, but they became well-known because of their show. And so I started asking them a lot of questions. So I think figure out what your path is and then find people who have been down a similar path to you. So that's one way. Another way, and this is really interesting, 
It doesn't need to be a person who you talk to. And what do I mean by that? It could be somebody who you intimately know their story. This could be somebody famous, could be somebody deceased that you knew. It could be somebody that you've worked with in the past and maybe you don't talk to them a lot anymore, but you know how they would respond to situations. And so these are two different things. I want to be clear. So you can have your personal board of directors that you talk to because you need to talk to people, but then you could have an imaginary board of directors or advisors who you could think to yourself, how would this person handle it? Maybe it's Steve Jobs. Maybe it's, I mean, let me say what you want about Steve Jobs. He was both brilliant and very difficult, but how would he handle a situation? Or I worked for Elon Musk. How would Elon handle a particular situation? And so I the think you can Elon do Elon or the one now, but <laughs> yeah. Don't get me started with that. But I yeah. mean, like for Elon, it's like a first principles thinking. Like the reason his company is what it is, is because of a very simple philosophy called first principles, where you don't reason by analogy, but you you think about every problem that you're solving from the ground up, not using what is already in existence as a model to start from, but to think, what if we just built this from scratch? Which is great. You get to be creative. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Opens up your imagination. Yeah, it totally does. You get to put your own handprint on everything. So I, and I love that. So, and it reminds me of when you're having a problem and you just journal and then maybe you're having a problem with someone else and you write a letter to that person, but you don't send it. You Mm. do not send it. And I was taught you handwrite it because that's from your heart. If you're handwriting, mm. it's supposed mm. to type uh, using a keyboard. And then you write a person, a letter from that person back to you. So that's mm. oh, powerful. Of, yeah, it is. It's so uh, that's the letters. Anyway, I don't know why, but that just reminded me of that. So because probably because you're talking about Steve Jobs, who isn't here. And you can do that with people that are that way. So because they always say, find your tribe, find your tribe, find your tribe, which if you don't have a tribe, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> and here you want this tribe of people to gather around you to help you because you have this dream and you want to start taking action because life's in session. You have to, even yeah. if it's 15 minutes a day towards that dream, it's something. And then, you know, you start taking action towards it. So those are great suggestions. Do you have books then in particular that you turn to or that really motivated you? Yeah. And I'll say based on what you just said is no one ever finds their dream alone. No one. No one ever finds what they want in life by just doing it completely on their own. There's somebody or somebody's with them. So there's a certain amount of controversy over this book, but the book Think and Grow Rich, one of the things that it does is talk about this very concept of having this, I don't think they use the term personal board of directors, but it's like having this group of advisors. So it's like, you know, you think about people in history, Nelson Mandela, Abraham Lincoln, whoever it is, right? And especially if you know their story, Albert Einstein, you know their story. And by the way, become a student of their story if you don't know it. Study up on these people and think about how they would make decisions, how they would solve problems. Because ultimately, life is a series of experiences where you are making decisions or you're solving problems, okay? And it could be that you come into a situation where you think you have the right answer. You think you know exactly how to handle the situation based on your own previous life experiences. The problem is you're only basing it on that data input. But when you bring other experiences into the table and you can then start to process things 
using the minds of other people. Again, it's a mental exercise. You're expanding the scope in which you're looking at the world. The interesting part of life is that we only look at it through our own eyes. Yeah, it's only our own lens. And when you talk about you can't do anything alone, I mean, we're not wired to be alone. Humans are not wired to be alone. I've been doing a whole thing on loneliness and isolation, and it just, we are not. We are meant to be connected, physically connected. Texting does not count. <laughs> Zooms don't count. I, I mean, it feels like, oh, yeah, I was on a Zoom. I was, it's not. When you're connected physically, you were just at a conference. It's a whole different experience. You're like, oh, yeah, I like being around people. I mean, you've got your son and your sporting events, so you're around people more than I am anymore. Now my kids are a little more grown. And when I go to conferences, I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I have to do this. I'm talking about it all the time, but then I'm isolated working from home and stuff. So I forget, even though I talk about it. And uh, it's really important that we're physically connected. And, and it's harder these days. Connection is the window to happiness. Yeah. If we don't connect, and I mean really connect with other people, it's going to be hard to find happiness. There's so many things that happen in our lives, obstacles, challenges, valleys, and also the high points. And if we don't have people to experience all of those things with, yeah, life becomes lonely and life becomes very challenging. I look at my life and I think to myself, how fortunate I am to have grown up with parents who taught me the power of connection. My dad is a world-class networker, and it's not just about networking, by the way, but he's building relationships. That's just the word that we use to describe the, the act of building out a community or a tribe or a group of friends. Because for him, networking, it's not just about business. I mean, he's networking to laugh. He's networking to find lifelong friends. And so I'll share a quick tip that might be helpful. One of the reasons that I've maintained, and a lot of my friends will tell you this, that I've maintained long-term relationships is that I don't forget to reach out. And what I mean by that is I think we get so caught up in the day-to-day -day that we don't carve out windows of time to reconnect with the people who we've once talked to a lot. Because we have these seasons of our life, call it, we could be colleagues at a certain company or parents of a baseball team that your kid played on or college friends. And most people go through life making those friends and then those friends wash away. I believe that you can continue to have those people in your life if you take a small action and that's just to reconnect. And whether that be a phone call or even a text, I interviewed Jordan Harbinger and he, he talks about this idea and I actually have done this well before he brought it up, but it's like, Go to the end of your text yeah. messages all yep. the way back to the very end. And then text the person that you haven't texted in four years. And they got to yeah. know that it's coming from your heart. You're not trying to get something or sell something. You just want to check in and see how they're doing. It's not urgent, but wanted to reconnect. And this helps to create new portals to weak or dormant ties or people you haven't talked to in a really long time. Yeah. And I love when he says to do that. It's just, it's a reminder. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> and it connected me with somebody else. You are very good at doing that. You are definitely, I've known, just disclaimer, I've known Billy since he's in junior high, middle school, whatever <laughs> it's called, you know, so, and you're very good at staying in touch. So definitely at that with his friends from back then. So I saw him play baseball in high school and stuff like that. Like I remember you back then. So, so yeah. funny. Yeah, it is. It's really funny. 
And the Think and Grow Rich is very, I mean, that's, you know, kind of a classic old school book from, oh my gosh, so many years ago that is still referenced by a lot of leaders today. So what's the hardest challenge that you've overcome and how did you do it? And I know you've, you've been through a lot recently and well, really, even in the last year, yeah. there's been quite a lot and you're very open about it on LinkedIn. <laughs> so, which is not real life. Social media is not real life, but you, <laughs> you are very open about your life. I am. The thing I would say is life is going to throw you curveballs throughout. Okay. I'll use a baseball analogy. I'm a baseball guy. It's going to throw you those curveballs. And I've coped with the curveballs because I've had people in my life that I'm able and willing to talk to. And it's not just making a post on LinkedIn. Definitely the hardest part of my life has been going through the pain and suffering of trying to have a second child. And six times my wife got pregnant and we didn't get to have a second child. Now, I say that knowing that some people don't even get a chance to have a first child. I'm reminded of just how lucky I am that I have a beautiful 10-year-old boy, a son who's... So cute. (laughs) Yeah, I'll let you say it, but he is. And he's just a great kid and could not have asked for a, a better human being to bring into the world. But that doesn't take away the fact that, especially watching the heartache, you know, and not saying it wasn't hard on me, but I can't even imagine how exponentially harder it was for my wife. So I'd say that. And then of course you referenced it this year, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so I didn't tell her this till afterwards, but I was every morning just crying, bawling, thinking about the proposition of her not being here. And luckily we caught it early. It's stage one. She's been multiple surgeries to to remove it and radiation. But yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard. And had I not had the people in my life to talk to, it would have been so much harder and maybe even unbearable. Yeah, you you definitely have a great community and cu- community. I mean, the messages compiled from the talking to elders and and putting together all the messages from the first fifty two weeks. The number one message was, you have to have community. We don't do mm. this life thing alone. It's what you've talked about. We are not meant to. And I love. People who isolate, their solution to isolation is more isolation. (laughs) It just doesn't work. You're such a good example of telling the truth of what's going on. And that is actually how we don't store trauma in our body that way. It won't come out later. Being real. I mean, I know hashtag authentic is like trendy, being authentic. And it's actually how we get through life is telling the truth of what's going on and um, not hiding and trying to be something other than what we are. (laughs) The truth will set you free. Yeah, absolutely. I I early, early in my life, I was in my 20s, I made the mistake of not being faithful to a girl I was dating. Now, we weren't married or anything like that. This is okay, by the way. We weren't married, but, and it was, our relationship was, was in the, I would say, without getting all the details, it was a good relationship, but I wouldn't say it was the healthiest of relationships. I decided to do something I shouldn't have done. And I felt so bad about it. I'm actually grateful that it happened because it taught me the lesson that I could never do that again. I could never (laughs) hurt somebody again like I did. And I held it and I kept it a secret. But then I just, I told her and I felt so much better. It didn't take away the pain that I gave her all of that, but it, it was so important to do because again, 
The truth will set you free. There's a reason why my company's number one core value is radical transparency. Radical transparency, meaning I would much rather you be totally honest up front and it not be a good thing, meaning like you've shared something that you did wrong or I shared something, a mistake I made. I would much rather do that than to be closed off and not willing to share what it is that's going on. And so it could be something as, you know, in an in a intimate relationship or it could be something work-wise. I'm so with you. Like if you bottle that stuff up, I mean, it's, it's toxic. Yeah. Literally. You're going to implode. You're going to implode or actually like something's going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Totally. That's your motto. My, uh, my law practice, it's a hundred percent looking out for the client. A hundred percent. We do not look out. I mean, I've never had, I've never been reported to the state bar, or had any like problems or anything like that. Like we only look out for our client. Um, That's awesome. First, but we're also not a mill. So it's not like we have thousands of clients or something. Or even hundreds at a time. Yeah, you I could mean, do that. I can't you even imagine. I can't even fathom such a thing. And, uh, you know, on the podcast, it's about giving hope, you know, for mm. people like you just need that. Oh, <laughs> you need that little push. You need like a motivation. Oh, yeah. It's going to get better. Oh, yeah. I'm going to reach my goal. Oh, yeah. I can go for my dream. <laughs> and what would you tell somebody who, they're, they see it. They know that they want to go for that dream. They can see that vision of what it is they want to do, but they're scared to do it. What would you tell that person? I would say, if you have the vision, describe it to me. And the reason I would say that is I'd want to know how detailed they are. Because the more details you have to reach your dream, the more you're going to see it in your mind and you're going to visualize it. It's not to say you have everything figured out or that even you start to change things. I think you have to be fluid and willing to pivot and take a path that you didn't imagine. But you, in order to do that, in order to get to where you want to go, you do need to see it before it happens. So that'd be the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is, remember, it's not going to happen all at once. So prioritize the steps you need to take to get there. So step number one could be a micro step, the smallest step you could possibly imagine. And that's okay. And then the third thing I would say is get someone in your life who's going to hold you accountable to doing those steps. You share your vision with them as detailed as possible. And by the way, the vision, you keep adding more details. You keep adding more, making it more real in your mind, making each step something that you can actually visualize yourself doing. And when you bring this person to your life or you have this person who's your accountability buddy, yeah, your accountability partner. Yes. Yeah. Set time with them on a regular basis that's not going to be unreasonable because they're doing something for you and give them updates on where you're at and where you're going. Give them updates on where you're at and where you're going. And then when you follow up with them, your next meeting, you do that same thing again. And you keep giving them those updates of where you're at and where you're going while also letting them know if you're making some tweaks or changes into the map or the course that you're taking. So those would be a few things. Oh, that's so good. And being fluid is like key. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. You just described manifesting. I mean, that, that is how we manifest our dreams. Absolutely. I was taught for manifesting a partner. It was analogized to when somebody goes to order coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker, but yeah, I mean, I've heard enough people order coffee that nobody <laughs> says I want a coffee. They like, I want a latte, hold the this, give me extra that, you know, like it's all very specific sure. that, so that you make a list of all the qualities that you would want in a partner and don't forget it monogamous 
and don't forget straight if you want straight and if you want monogamous if you want gay like or if you want trans whatever you want like put that on the list and i was like oh because i wouldn't have thought of a few of those kind of qualities and don't put the physical attributes go those change but mm. um if you want somebody with family values if you want this but and then to visualize it this is all ariel ford she's one of the early episodes she's fabulous awesome <laughs> yeah yeah she's so good and then she has a whole meditation thing she has a link to so you can visualize and feel into it a feelingizations meditation she's so good she talks all about that yeah that's amazing i mean with just to tap in on the coffee point people ritualize their coffee consumption they ritualize something that's important to them because they want it done a certain way they like it a certain way and i suggest if you want to form a habit, figure out how to ritualize it. What I mean by that is a ritual, if you've seen a baseball player, all sorts of them have yeah. different rituals they do, they do to get consistent, right? And, and it could be any sports. I'm a baseball guy, so I always notice the baseball players, but they do the same thing the same way every time. And the reason why rituals are powerful is because it creates that muscle memory in your brain to be able to do something over and over again on a consistent basis. And if we want to do anything, consistency is always going to be the lifeblood of results. And consistency happens when you do little actions a lot over time. Okay? So little actions a lot over time. You keep doing these little actions a lot over time. You're giving yourself the best opportunity to do the right things repeatedly to get a long-term result. And rituals help to manifest whatever it is you want in your life by taking these for time. Because most things are not one big giant leap. There are a lot of little things, a lot of little details. When I interviewed somebody who worked closely with Michael Eisner, he says, Disney's successful because it's like a pointless painting. If you look at one little dot, but you back out, you see the entire mosaic of a pointless painting and it's a piece of art. Oh, that's good. That's very good. So do you have certain things that you do on a daily basis? Do you journal? Do you exercise? What do you, what do you do? Big believer in the power of freeing the constriction of our prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is like the CEO of our brain. It does all the decision-making. It really is the part of our brain that if it didn't exist, we would not be here talking as human beings, we would have been killed basically to get graphic with it. And so the problem is we're so overstimulated and we're so overstretched with having to decide this, having to decide that, that we put ourselves in a place where our prefrontal cortex is constantly overwhelmed, trying to do too much and solve too many problems. And so to your question, my ritual is walking. Why walking? Because walking allows me to get some distance from what I am working on to free up my prefrontal cortex. If you've ever wondered why you have a aha moment in the shower or at the gym or even on the toilet, it's because you're not thinking about other things and your prefrontal cortex finally has a moment to do some of that other thinking. And all of a sudden you have that moment of insight. And so that would be one, one big one for you, me. Do you walk without your phone? I love walking without my phone. I don't always, because sometimes I use walking for two things. One is moments of insight, in which case I'll just leave my phone at the house and it's, it's liberating. But then a lot, of, a lot of the time, what I also do is I, I listen to audiobooks. 
And so I listen to them. So I'm downloading information as I'm, as I'm walking. But I'd say you're going to be served the best when you have those moments of insight to quiet your mind in any way you could do that. It could be meditation, could be shower, could be whatever it is that's going to make you not uh, take in all the other distraction noise yeah. that's out there. Yeah, uh, definitely. Big proponent of that myself. So, okay. So tell some of these messages that you just received. You were just at a, uh, an amazing conference. So you got to hear a lot of messages, but you also have interviewed some incredible people. What messages did you take with you? What were the most resonant? And were there any surprises? I mean, well, there always is a surprise. And I think surprise is good. So that's like, to me, the way in which events work is, I think I'm always reminded of this, this law called the, the peak end rule. It's a law in psychology where people are going to remember the high point and the end high point in the end. They're going to remember something that happened that was magical, a moment. And they're going to remember the end of something. Okay. So if you're doing an event, think of those, how do you create those high points? And then how do you have an incredible ending? I also believe that the start has to be super strong. So that's one really important takeaway. As far as the event, so I've been to two events recently. I was just at an event that Mind Valley put on called Vision Live, uh, after, named after the, the founder. And then I was at Summit of Greatness put on by Lewis Howes. I mean, we would be here for hours to go over everything that I learned, but I'll give you some highlights that I think are really important. So Natasha Graziano shared her story. She's been doing things in the public scene for the last three or four years, but she really took off with Clubhouse, believe it or not. She ended up marrying this guy, Michael, who she met on Clubhouse. And so one of the things that she shared, which I think is really interesting, is don't fake it till you make it, be it until you become it. And she actually wrote a book called Be It Until You Become It. So you could check that out. But the thing that was interesting is that she, and talk about writing, okay? She wrote out exactly what she wanted out of a relationship. And when I say exactly, exactly what the person looked like, where they lived, what they did for a living. I mean, like all this vision. And so we hear this in business, write out your business avatar, your customer avatar. She did it for her mate. And then she made it so real that she even imagined what he smelled like. She even went to a place where you can mix and match different fragrance to make your own, basically your own cologne. So she made her own cologne for this guy before she even met him. And so she had taken all of these steps, writing out what she wants. And so you're starting to see it. You're starting to be it. You're starting to feel it. And then you become it. So that would be one one big takeaway from the event. And that was from the most recent one. The, another thing that's really, I just, I love this. This is from Tim's story. He says, listen, if you do enough things right, right now, in three years, things are going to get weird. So what does he mean by that? He means that if you do the things right today, your life will be so radically different in three years. You won't even believe the situation you're in. It's going to be so shocking and surprising. So he's working today. He's working with Oprah. He's working with all these luminaries and incredible people. And I don't know how long ago he would, you know, three years, it might be 10 years, it might be five years. But point being is he, it's a pinch me moment. It's kind of like a pinch me moment for me when all of a sudden I'm one layer removed from Elon Musk. My boss reported to Elon Musk. And I would have never imagined that would be the case. But 
Point being is don't discount who you can become in a short amount of time if you do enough little things right. The last thing I'll share in terms of takeaways, and th- there's so many. So I just want to say that like, I, it's almost like, uh, you know, just wind me up. I could go for hours. I went to this church. I'm not a very religious person, just to be super candid, but I went to this church when I was a kid. Church is called Agape. If you're familiar with Agape, it's, it's not your typical church. Dr. Michael Beckwith yeah. is the creator of Agape and a fascinating, fascinating guy. He says this, this line in his presentation that I just cannot forget, which is he says, violence is the voice of the inarticulate. Violence is the voice of the inarticulate. I just thought it was sour, such a powerful takeaway in the, the times that we're in where we maybe get a little bit more agitated, maybe have a shorter fuse. We don't give ourselves opportunity to pause and be mindful and we react. And sometimes we react in a way where violence is the first solution. I mean, there's war going on. I I don't need to tell you that it's, I mean, it's kind of a moment in history where it's an inflection point. And so I think we can all be stewards of the future. If we remember that Violence really is never the answer. And it is the voice of the inarticulate. I used to have a temper as a kid. You may not remember that, but but I had a bad, bad temper as a kid. It took a long time for me to work on it. I think part of the reason I don't have that anymore is that I'm able to communicate better. I'm better, better able to share my feelings and my thoughts and my ideas on perhaps why this situation shouldn't be the way it is and how we could make it a better situation. And so I would say those would be some of the takeaways that were most powerful. God is in the pause. It's in that pause that (laughs) the magic happens. It just is. I really love that. You interviewed somebody that I saw. Oh, it was Chris Doe. Mm -hmm. I just saw a clip of him talking about being a middle child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just thought that was really funny and how that was part of what shaped him and to who he was. And I, I just think probably because I related to that part of it, I always thought, oh, I feel different because I'm a middle child. And mm. my parents, my parents were, I was not raised at all like you. <laughs> they were kind of gone. And, but my mom went to one PTA meeting once and they talked about the middle child syndrome, mm-hmm. how the oldest gets all the privileges, the youngest gets all the attention. So don't forget the middle child. And I thought, that's why I feel different because I'm a middle child. So I always perk up when I hear things and and he had said something and he said that's that was what how something about what shaped him so I thought that was kind of an interesting story I mean because of your podcast are there any common themes that you've heard or any really stand out standouts that maybe you've incorporated into your life I'm sure you've incorporated plenty into your life I mean just from people I've interviewed I breathe differently because of like yeah. what I've learned. And there's plenty I incorporate half the time. I think it's for me, the people I interview. But how about you? Yeah. And well, you like you, there is so many have been integrated. I'd say a few that stand out. I'm a perfectionist. And I, I know that about myself. I know that my natural tendency is to over-architect or to over-analyze or to think about how to make it perfect. And so I interviewed somebody who's actually my cousin who at one of his jobs, he had somebody tell him that think in versions. So version one does not need to be your version 10. And so instead of thinking about trying to release version 10, just release version one. And then think about how do you make that version two? 
So that'd be one big one is just giving myself permission to have multiple versions, not just thinking that if I'm going to launch something, it's got to be absolutely perfect. If it's absolutely perfect when I launch it, I've launched it too late. I should have launched it earlier and gathered feedback and learned and made those necessary changes. That'd be one big one. Another one is I interviewed Liz Wiseman. And Liz Wiseman has a book called Rookie Smarts. And what I love about this book is it really reshapes and reframes the way we think about people without a lot of experience or maybe doing something that is potentially considered out of their league, out of their element. And the idea behind this book is that actually people who have rookie smarts or who are a rookie and they are willing to ask the questions that somebody who has more experience isn't willing to ask has a better shot potentially of reaching even higher levels. And what's so fascinating about this idea, this concept is that we should kind of take this concept with us throughout life. So even though you're experienced as an attorney and you have your specialty and it could be anything that you do, you, Lauren, as an attorney, it could be me as a podcaster or Bob the doctor. We all come to life with our pre-existing experiences and we think that our decisions should be based on those experiences. And I challenge that. And so does Liz and saying that like, hey, how can I tap into some of those rookie smarts? Maybe I need to talk to another expert. Maybe I need to ask more questions. Maybe I shouldn't assume that because it was this way at this company or with this client. And so that would be another one. And then the, the third one that I'll share is something that I learned from my old boss at Tesla. He said, assume positive intent. See, often we go through life thinking about all the different things that somebody is doing to us or saying about us or acting towards us. And do they have bad motives? Are they doing it because they don't like us or because they are jealous of us or because they don't want us to succeed? All of that may or may not be true, but it does not serve you to think about it in that light. Instead, just assume everybody has positive intent. Everybody in your orbit is doing things not necessarily because they want to hurt you. It could be something entirely different. And even if you are wrong and they do have malice or, or bad, bad intent, you're going to feel so much better if you just take the high road and feel and assume everybody has the, the best intentions. Yeah. I mean, what? It's going to be one out of 20 anyway, at the most, at the most. I mean, most people really do, because if you have good intentions, you're going to be attracting people with good intentions. So totally. uh, they probably do. So uh, yeah. that's right. They probably do. That. And that's the other point. Yeah. To it. yeah, yeah, definitely. And I love the other. Uh, I, it made me think of um, every day. I just remind myself to have an open heart and an open mind. Am I listening? That's part of my morning like thing. And and from actually Eric, the trainer, I have a new little post-it. I, my post-it says, what can I do for you today? It's just a love little that. reminder. That's his That's his mantra. I, I mean, I try to come at everything from love and service. The other number one message from my first 52 weeks, besides community, it was love and service. Do you have a message of hope you want to give? Yeah, I, I do. I'd say the message of hope is that time heals all wounds. And I know this, and I think anybody who has gone through a challenge in your life, and everybody has, Think about how you felt at the worst. Like really sit on that for a minute. Think about how you felt at that moment in your life that was the most challenging. And then reflect and think about how did you feel months, years, decades later? I get it. There are some painful things that happen in life that you're always going to have a part of it. I'm not saying that things just wash 
away. But what I do know, and I know this very, very well, because I know how I have, I've been heartbroken. I've, I've felt pain. Life does go on. And time is an incredible healer. I mean, let's face it. Women, I mean, they can have another child because, I mean, I, I haven't had a child, but I know labor is hard. And I think most women, if you ask them immediately after having the child, do they want another one? Probably be no. But there's enough time in between that they can do it again. And that's just one you know, fun example. But the point is, hope happens when we believe that there's a better end, that there's something more that we, that we have to live for. If we didn't have hope, we would just choose to, to not be excited about the moments of our lives. And we would choose not to make each of the moments that we have as amazing as possible. And so my message of hope is to remember that no matter how you're feeling in this exact moment, even if it is in a moment of sorrow or sadness, that you won't always feel that way. You won't always feel exactly like you feel in that given moment. And the mind is so incredibly powerful. You got to fuel your mind and feed your mind and give yourself the opportunity to realize what it means to give yourself some time and some distance. And then you layer in the community and the connection with the people who are going to be there for you. And that accelerates the time or the lessens the amount of time that it takes for that healing to happen. So I think remembering that and never ever forgetting that time heals all wounds, I think will give you the hope that there always will be a better day than what you're feeling in that moment of, of, of pain. Yeah, definitely. It all passes. Everything always works out eventually. Maybe not the way we think it will, but it always does. I mean, human beings are incredibly resilient. Absolutely. That's that's why we're here. We're resilient people. We are. Thank you for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope. I have one other question. Is there anything else that I should have asked you that you're like, we're going to be done and you'll be like, I can't believe Lauren didn't ask me that. No, not at all. It was amazing. I loved it. I'm sure there's, I will think of something, but I, no question that comes to mind that I wish you had asked me that. I think we've, we've covered so much ground and you've given me uh, an opportunity to share uh, hopefully some things that, that may help uh, and, and may maybe a good reminder for me too. That's the other piece is that there's some things that we talked about that I'm like, oh yeah, I need to do more of that or I need to remember this. And so sometimes just through this conversation, and that's what I love about doing a podcast is sometimes I'll hear the same thing from multiple people and it'll be like that third time hearing that I'm like, you know what? I really need to do that. I really need to put those post-it notes or whatever it may be. And so sometimes it's not hearing something for the first time. It's being reminded at the right time. Yeah, definitely. We, I think we hear what we need to hear too. <laughs> we do. We hear what we need to hear when we need to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that was great. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Thank you. It was awesome. Loved it. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Billy's messages of authenticity, connection, which is just so important. It's even more important these days when people are so isolated and community. We all need each other. Such great messages to take into your week ahead. Be sure to tune in next week for another empowering episode all about overcoming challenges and how to hone in on your superpower and fast track you to success with Jenny O'Connor. She's giving you knowledge, empowering you to live your dreams. She has really refreshing insights for you as you move forward into your best life. That's next week. It's another great episode. 
Be sure to get on the email list if you're not already on it so you don't miss anything. Just go to the website at 52weeksofhope.com. There's also a quiz on there, when do you self-sabotage? That's at 52weeksofhope.com. If you're driving, there's an easy way right now to get on the list. Just text 66866, text 52HOPE, the number 52HOPE to 66866, and that'll get you on the email list. And you can also leave me a voicemail just a voice message on there. Let me know what it is that you're struggling with the most or what topics you'd like to hear or your wins. Let me know what confidence things you've done. I can even put your voice messages on a future episode, so which is fun. Don't worry, I won't put anything you don't want me to on there. So that's really fun. We've got SpeakPipe on there now. And you can also do that from an email. There's a link on the email. You just click on the link and you can leave a up to 60 second voice message for me. That's all on the website, 52weeksofhope.com, or text 52HOPE to 66866. If you're enjoying the podcast, share the love and tell two of your friends. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.